Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, and this is the Digital Project Manager Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Clarison, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit clarison.com to learn more. If there's one thing that you can guarantee about a project, it's that it'll never go to plan. But why do projects go off the rails? Sometimes it's simply because we jump into projects too fast and we see the deadline for the project edging ever closer. And so then we end up starting the project in a bit of a blind panic. But then when things start to go wrong, we wonder why that is. Well, we've usually got all the project background, the strategy, the details, the requirements, success metrics tucked away in the back of our head. We can often make the mistake that therefore everyone else should know about it all too. But the reality is, if it's not documented, chances are our team just don't know. So today we're going to talk about a tool that we can use to get everyone on the same page at the start of the project. It's the project initiation document, or perhaps more commonly called in our world, the project brief. And so we're going to give you today the inside track on how you can create a PID and use them to make your projects more effective. Today, I'm joined by Mike Stetner, one of my friends and colleagues. Mike's one of our resident DPM experts at the Digital Project Manager. Welcome, Mike. Hello. <laughs> Mike, it's great. Yeah, good. It's great to have you with us. And uh, so, Mike, let's talk about you first. And uh, let's tell everyone a bit about your story, uh, because we obviously work together. <laughs> We've been working together now for is it five years. Yeah, it's like for, between four and five years now. Yeah. So when I hired Mike, though, I remember thinking, oh, I don't know if this guy is going <laughs> to know if this guy is going to be able to do it because you come from a slightly different background, not the traditional agency background. So tell us about your story. How is it that you became a PM in a digital agency? Yeah. So I um, uh, like all in all, I'm uh, I'm now I have round about like 10 years of uh, experience in various uh, fields. I originally started out in um, in, in gaming and, and publishing, uh, managing uh, releases in uh, for games in Europe and uh, North America, um, and then moved into other fields like uh, um, medical databases and like, but generally always software development and uh, things that have to do with uh, project management, a variety of teams and so forth. And within uh, within my career, I also gathered. Um, uh, some agency experiences with uh, app development and some initial uh, web development too. And then uh, uh, when, <clears throat> yeah, when you basically, when we had that uh, initial conversation about working together, I uh, I pretty much made the switch to uh, full-on web development and agency. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, like been been working with, uh, with my current company FCV now for around about four years, and uh, I'm leading the uh, the uh, project management team now for uh, for the agency, and I'm basically responsible for the overall delivery of projects and uh, ensuring that uh, clients are happy with the results that we put in. Good stuff. So for those of um, yeah, for those people who are listening and thinking. Uh, well, perhaps they might be in a, in a similar situation in as much as, and I think we get this quite often, it's people who say, okay, well, I'm I'm a project manager, I've got experience managing software, but now I'm considering transitioning to an agency and being a digital project manager. For you, uh, what were the kind of, how was that transition experience for you, transitioning from more of a software world to an agency, digital 
project management world? What were the kind of key differences, perhaps, in the way that you have to manage people or projects? Who I'm, I'm, I'm keen to understand more of like the contrast and what what people who are kind of considering that move might want to think about in preparing themselves for that. Yeah, first of all, there, there are a lot of parallels. So uh, things that you encounter in other in other software development uh, uh, agencies or like in other project management um, uh, related uh, fields, uh, you will encounter in an agency as well. So you will have diverse teams. Projects will go off the rails for a variety of reasons. And uh, you can kind of apply the same tactics to uh, uh, to catch those things. Like one of the main differences for me when I started was to understand the um, and like apply the the whole idea of being very focused on um, on, on on time and materials and um, as like smaller increments of work of work versus uh, you know bigger deliveries um, because clients especially in, in in the field that I'm working in. Um, they want they would like to have like a more transparency and more control over like smaller chunks of work that that are being done so that comes with um more intricate reporting and uh overall um just a more effort in in being transparent and explaining to the client exactly what you're doing to uh, generate that level of trust um which is always a little more more effort and uh, needs a bit needed a bit of adjustment on my end uh, versus like when you're for example working in a product company and you're working towards a launch um uh, that might be internal so <clears throat> that was really for me the um uh the main difference but it was also it was very interesting to see that like when you're when you're working in even in a completely different field um it's it 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 doesn't really matter whether you're working on a database project project or on a game or um on a website um the you're kind of running into into fairly similar issues that transit that can be transferred from from one field to the other and uh, if you apply the same learnings that you you've, you've maybe had in your previous job like you know for example um good communication and like you know some of the standard best practices as a project manager chances are you are, you will be successful uh, no matter what you're building yeah it's good stuff so tell us then um i mean you talked about some of this <laughs> you kind of run into similar challenges so can you tell us in your kind of role now is i mean you're you're not just managing projects but you're also managing teams so um in in terms of the project management team so in terms of that project portfolio management managing a whole suite of different projects with conflicting requirements um in terms of resources what what are the what are the kind of typical challenges that you deal with in that role kind of heading up the pmo team yeah my role is more uh, is more holistic at this point so um uh, i'm basically uh ensuring that uh, <laughs> everything keeps moving and like one of the, one of my main focuses is you kind of already said it is uh, usually resourcing and ensuring that we have the right people for the right job and for the right duration yeah. because oftentimes you you have to compromise when you know things take longer but like you have another project already lined up um, and then mitigating some of those um, <clears throat> some of those adjustments that that need to be done and like ensuring that uh clients have an open line to me um because 
the the risk of 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 being in 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 a more like holistic higher level role is that you're just basically only the person that uh, is responsible for escalations, which <laughs> is not a role that you yeah. only want to be in because that's that's basically when you only get the the calls when people are mad. So it's always good <laughs> yeah. to uh, it's always good to kind of play play a more of an active part in in various projects um, to kind of. Uh, develop this trusting relationship but still um ensure that uh you know within the organization things are set up properly and like whether that's for resourcing or from an operations perspective or um just uh yeah from a from a general cross collaboration because we have a few offices um uh for us it's it's important to ensure that like folks from our toronto office can work well together with uh, or Victoria office, for example, and before. so um, <clears throat> that's really the majority of my focus. Um, that said, I, I still um, I have some clients that I I work really closely with, and like I'm I'm do, still doing a fair amount of project management because it's 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 still where my passion lies, and it's, I I just really like working with teams. So I'm not going to give that away. Yeah. So. Tell me about then, so just kind of going back to that resource management challenge. Uh, and uh, this is something that anyone who's leading a kind of a project management team or who's a resource manager is going to face. But how do you or kind of what's your approach then for you've got conflicting projects, you've got two project managers on the team and they both have deadlines for Friday and they both need the same resources What's your kind of what's your triaging process or what's your kind of project portfolio management approach for deciding who wins? Like, because this is this is something that uh, loads of PMs, you know, will, will constantly talk about. It's you know they haven't got the resources for their team. So how is it that it'd be good to get an insight from you on your perspective as someone who's who's making that call on which project goes forward and which doesn't? How do you, uh, <laughs> what can you share about how you make that call between, you know, what gets, what goes into resourcing and what's get, what gets pushed out or, or dropped? Yeah. First, first of all, I typically look at, um, you know, the priority of the project. Like, you know, did we, are we running against any kind of deadlines or like, did we promise uh, something to the client? Does it have to go live by a certain date? And like, you know, um, basically seeing if there's any wiggle room <clears throat> when it comes to timings. Um, the fact whether something is um, uh, um, finalized in a contract, uh, for example, plays a role as well. So ensuring that everything is, is done, like, you know, does the project manager just want to get ahead and, uh, you know, do the client a favor, uh, which is good. And we're happy to do that if if we have time. But like, you know, if the other project is uh, going live in three days, uh, we probably can't pull anyone from that project. Um, so that's kind of the, the baseline. Like ideally it doesn't happen because the project manager should, um, anticipate like certain overages and kind of build in buffers. Um, and, um, like <laughs> this might sound weird, but I do expect from my team to fight for the resources as well. Like oftentimes, yeah. oftentimes they are too nice and they are kind of, uh, oh no! You can have this person for a day, and uh, which ultimately <laughs> just leads to everyone's stuff being pushed out. So um, while I don't like poaching and like um, you know just stealing resources, and that's an absolute no go. Um, but in in resourcing meetings, I would expect that someone um, stands up for the time that they need and 
to push the problem to to the resourcing manager to sort out um, to get like the help in or to figure out how this can be balanced. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's a a Canadian resourcing problem. Can, Canadian, <laughs> stand, Canadian Canadian standoff for sure. <laughs> yeah, Canadians Canadians are too nice, and as Europeans. We can say that, I think. Yeah. Or is it only Canadians who are allowed to joke about themselves being too nice? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I've, I've definitely seen it differently as well in, in, in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Uh, is there, tell us, I'm always interested in, in terms of tools. Um, is there anything that you've found recently? Any kind of tools that, that you've discovered or that you've started using that you're like, ah, oh, this is awesome. Why didn't we start using this? earlier what's kind of in your toolkit that you think that works well uh with regards to like uh resourcing management or well resourcing or project management tools generally um well we we actually use a fairly uh a fairly standard toolkit of like time management and 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 ms project which is <clears throat> you know <laughs> oftentimes uh kind of overwhelming for the client like we're experimenting a lot with like um uh, cloud-based um, uh, products now. So Project, for example, has an uh, Office 365 version. Um, so, uh, but we're also always looking left and right when it comes to like uh, time management and uh, resource management um, uh, software. I haven't found the the perfect solution because like we have a fairly tailored process, which is unfortunately partially manual too. Um, so the I, I think personally I think the ideal tool for what we need doesn't really exist. So mm. my 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 personal uh, goal would be to actually build something or get you know acquire something and and then uh, tailor it to to the individual needs. Um, yeah, and what would that? What for you would be? Because uh, there's people who make tools out here listening as well. So for those, for what do you think of the things that you don't see in tools that um, that yeah that would make it viable, or is it just that the process that that we use is so convoluted or complex that uh, the yeah the, the tools can't accommodate for um, it? Not necessarily. It's actually fairly straightforward. Like, but for me, like what I'm looking for is basically a tool that uh, ties ties in from. Um, uh, like simple time management and and, and booking um, booking hours perspective, so for people timesheets uh, into like uh, resource planning. So like um, you know something like Resource Guru or um, other other tools that uh, allow you to um, to um, map out like who you need, but then also into the financial aspect uh, to it, right? Like because you know. Like especially when you're working on time and materials, the easy math is the number of hours times the billing rate, and then basically um, getting that whole um, reporting uh, pipeline set up through that. And um, it sounds easy, but there's a lot of things to consider when it comes to likelihood of projects that are being done, and um, you know shifts and how how systems kind of deal with that. So that can throw off reporting and like just add so much additional manual work that the, the metrics just don't don't line up so yeah i haven't really found the perfect solution there just yet yeah cool well let's talk about the uh the article that you wrote um on project initiation documents or the pids 
And as I mentioned in the intro, projects go wrong. And I think often it is because we don't start them properly. We we make these assumptions about what the team knows or we give them a load of documents, you know, say, hey, go on the shared drive and read the documents. It's all there. And uh, we think that they're going to go through, get themselves up to speed. And then when they spectacularly fail, we don't know why. Or, um, But really, it's because they don't get the project. They don't know it. So let's talk about how we can do this better, how we can write better project briefs. Or yeah, to use this Prince2 project management lingo, create this project initiation document. So kind of let's kind of set the scene a bit. If you can give us the background or your process for kicking off projects and then where this project initiation document or the project brief, where does it where does it fit in? When when do you create it? Where do you what do you do to kind of get to this point where you can write this project initiation document? Yeah, like um typically typically let's assume you you have a new client you're you're all excited because the contract is the overall contract is signed it's just probably like a high level master services agreement or something that says that your company and that other company is is going to start to work together to do things um like the next the next step for me is always to figure out um you know how to how do we get this into uh, um more concrete concrete steps and like and, and concrete terms right typically statement of work is what comes to mind for for something like that um the problem is when you're so so early in in, in the project everything is incredibly high level and it's just an approximation of what you're going to be end up ending up doing in the end anyways um so the project initiation document but also kickoff meetings are always a good uh, a good tool to um, to kind of feel out the client and to to hear if there's anything else and if there's any um, uh, other drivers that uh, might have not been considered in like initial statement of work briefs and so forth. So typically, when I um, when I um, uh, once like the initial statement of work is uh, is drafted and that that might be a draft state as well, um, and the team like the team is decided within. Um, within our agency and we uh, do like a bit of an internal kickoff to loop everyone in, sort out what we're doing and so forth. And there is an uh, external kickoff as well with the client that uh, on a more high level kind of explains like, this is what we're going to be doing. And um, um, this is the team, this is how we collaborate. And this is the scope that we have defined as, uh, as is. Now, the uh, project initiation, initiation doc, document or the project brief is kind of, to me, the the, the next step in in getting a little more concrete. But like at that early in this in in this in the process, you don't really um, <clears throat> you basically have to treat it as a bit of a living document, anyways, because it's um, mm. uh, it's it's not fully clear how like. It, where in all detail you will be going, but it's a very, yeah. very good yeah. tool to, um, you know, provide some business context and to uh, ensure that like the the very basic uh, project parameters are clear to uh, not only the client but also the external team. Yeah. So okay, so you, so you're typically doing it. Uh, there's a there's an overall statement of work that's been created uh, or there's some kind of there's some kind of legal or some kind of agreement between yourself and the client and this is the point then where it's 
that foundation of the statement of work and the MSA have been set. And this kind of sits above that. And that kind of then defines more clearly uh, or, or goes hand in hand with the statement of work to, def- to define a few things. In your article, you, you outline some of the things that it should include. So you talk about uh, providing some context, um, talk about the project parameters, specifics, the project breakdown structure, the who's who on the project and risk management. So, um, yeah, and let's talk about um, let's talk about context first. So, in terms of uh, in terms of the project team, when you're thinking about uh, pulling together this document and providing context, how do you how do you kind of provide context without um, just confusing people and, and overloading them with information? How do you kind of work out what's noise to the actual project and, uh, and what's actually going to be helpful? So what are the kind of what are the key things within that kind of context description that you'd be trying to include? Yeah, <clears throat> like in, in general, I think it's, it's all about like, why is the client doing the project? Right. And like, what are the what are the problems that, I, that need to be solved from a high level? Is there like are there any business drivers behind it? Like, do they do they like to increase their sales, or would they um, uh, like to educate the um, an audience on what they do? Like, you know, is there like a a rebrand effort in there? And like, the the key um, uh, question is like, how is success defined, right? Like, how how do how do we know that in the end? Uh, and like, keep in mind, we're still very fairly high level here. <clears throat> how do we know if in the end we're, um, we'll have succeeded? So, like, you know, that might be as, as straightforward as, you know, better better sales conversions or, for example, um, uh, a new self-serving, a new self-service website um, that pulls pulls all content out of PDFs into into uh, content management. But, like, um, it's, it's, fairly, it's fairly important to, just from to set the stage for the team to to kind of ensure that they know what they're what they're working towards and <clears throat> even though the the steps might not be outlined in um uh like in, in in a great detail at this point it helps you frame the the overall activity because like if in the end like let's say you're working towards a um like on a rebrand project with and the goal is to um um, reposition a company, and uh, at the end of the project, someone asks you, "But why didn't my sales go up?" Um, then you can go back and say, "Like, well, um, this is not really um, what the what the objective was and the context of this project." However, um, uh, there might be side effect to uh, to what was <laughs> what was done that might affect that positively, but it wasn't really a focus of of that. So it's always it's always good to keep this as a track record of like what was discussed initially and to align with the client on um on the overall objective. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really helpful in kind of thinking about uh, yeah how the, that context to the project is is always really helpful unless we're um unless it really is really like maintenance work where there is no I mean, you don't really need to know the overall strategy or the context for like maintaining something or fixing something. But if we're developing, if we're creating something new, that context, understanding why the clients 
pursuing the project, what we're trying to solve, the business goals, what success looks like. That's key to providing the team um, that background information that's going to help them shape the solution. So I think that's I think providing that context in the project brief or the project initiation document is is really is really key. So let's talk about um, project parameters. I mean, and you talked about this in kind of that the context is in one sense the project parameters. It's we're we're framing where the kind of how the project sits in the kind of big picture of what the client's trying to do strategically. But then within the within that kind of brief itself, what are the parameters that you're trying to frame out? Um, and you know, essentially, you're you're restricting the team. So, what what are you trying to frame out, and and in what ways is it good to restrict the team? Do you think? <laughs> yeah, like you don't want to restrict the experts, right? Um, but the problem is, if you give them complete free reign, um, they they might be working on a completely different project than you than you imagine. Um, <laughs> so, I think it's, yeah. it is always it is always really important to give them like the. Uh, the frame, like uh, you know, and the the basics, um, uh, you know, restrictions uh, that always come with things like budget, timeline, and and the overall schedule that was laid out. Um, ideally, you've you've estimated this with part part of the team anyway, so it shouldn't be anything new to them, and people should know that the client has a certain budget. Um, so chances are you're not gonna, um, you know. Uh, be be scolded for showing them a budget that the team is not uh, not aware of, but I think it's it is very very valuable to um, to go through those things and like it's it's important for the team also to understand that it's not a restriction but it's a um, you know it's it's the plan like it's it's what uh, um, the uh, what was agreed that the the company is going to that you're going to deliver to the uh, to the client for a certain budget, and um, um, you know even if things change uh, from a um, for example from a team perspective, and someone thinks, okay, I need more time to do this, um, it is the team's job to then sort just to then sort out, okay, this is how we can still make it work. So it's always good to make this um, high level team discussion, and just and don't give the team the impression that you're you know you're making the you're making their life hard, um, but uh, enable them in, in 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 what they what they need to do, um, and um, con- you know make sure that they understand that you got their back when it comes to like budgeting potential budget increases or like potential risks that you might even see at that early in the game and like you know timeline increase uh, changes and so forth um, because ultimately the team needs to be confident in in delivery and in um, and and being excited about like starting this project just as um, yeah. just as the client yeah. because you know they want to get stuff done too. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about. Um, I mean, you you talk about uh, other things in, that you should include in it as well. And we're not going to spoil the article for everyone who's who's yet to read it. But one thing I wanted to one last thing I wanted to to kind of talk about is. Um, yeah, in, including within this project initiation document or the project brief, this kind of you you talk about including a project breakdown structure, a work breakdown structure, and a bit of a resourcing plan. And so I'm curious as to you know at the beginning of the project when things are pretty undefined, how do you get to a plan? Your kind of straw man plan. How do you get to that 
that kind of rough plan before the project's even started and and you know uh, you know really how the project's going to go where how far they where how do you create that plan when when you don't know entirely what the project's going to be any thoughts on on how you well, do that to be honest it's probably a best guess at that point <laughs> and um like i mean you're probably basing it off yeah. um you know the the statement of work or whatever is is there already or like the estimate that was created by the team <clears throat> and um there's there's so many things that uh, are still uh you know up in the air like you know is the client responsive do we need like other number of revisions that we've um uh defined enough and and so forth so there's a lot of potential that like whatever plan you put together um, um might not pan out as it is <clears throat> but then looping back to uh, what I said earlier with like one of what's the most difficult thing for like uh, uh, for an agency, it's often resourcing, right? So even having like an approximation of a plan um, definitely helps, um, you know, the agency and like also other other project teams to uh, plan for the um, <clears throat> um, for securing your right resources and for. Uh, ensuring that um, the team can the team can stay stable. So um, basically, putting putting yeah. together, even if it's a um, uh, like a, a bit of an ambitious initial plan that you you might still need buy-in from the client for, uh, and they might say like after the first or second meeting, you know, we need more time. It's not realistic, whatever. But um, it 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 definitely helps to um, to map things out from from your perspective and like to also understand some of the intricacies that uh, your team will have to go through for example do you need uh, someone from uh, do you need a designer for an, an activity that you haven't even thought of right so if you get the team talking about some of those things early you as the project manager understand um, the intricacies what it of what it takes to deliver this project so you can yeah. it'll help you to ask the right questions yeah. and to also steer the client accordingly. So, um, like even a rough plan or even an approximation is, is is better than no plan because then people talk about it and uh, um, chances are, like as time progresses, things will got will become more uh, detailed and uh, more reflective of the of the real deal. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I totally subscribe to that perspective that having a plan or some plan is better than having no plan at all because you can always evolve the plan. And I think when you're starting a project um, and you sit down with a team with the project brief um, and there is no real plan for how you're going to deliver it and, you know, no one's really thought through the dependencies or or how the client needs to – the role that the client needs to play in the project um, – it can then, I mean, you start the project then with zero momentum when you're like, okay, team, how are we going to get this done? If you go to them with a plan and it's something for people at least to react to and say, Mike, you're crazy. How how on earth are we going to do that? At least it gives a, a starting point for a discussion rather than a blank sheet of paper where everyone's just looking at one another thinking, how on earth is this thing going to be delivered? So I think that having some kind of a plan, even if it's, even if it's the wrong plan, it's better than yeah, having no exactly. plan at all. So, I mean, we've talked about this, um, yeah, the project brief, the project initiation document, which sounds like a really serious document. But, I mean, it doesn't just have to be in a 
big, serious document, right? Uh, you know, essentially, we're providing context, parameters, a plan. Like, there are different forms that this can take, can't they? So how else, I mean, how else would you, I guess, what other forms would the project brief take? And how do you kind of see its role evolving throughout the, the kind of the project life? Yeah, like, <clears throat> the guide that I put together is basically a, um, you know, it is an example of, of, of things that you can um uh, put in there and like there's definitely like a minimum of uh, of information that should be in a, in, a, in, a, in a project initiation document or a project brief um but there's obviously also other ways of doing that like for example if you uh you know um, go into like risk management and so forth and you you kind of pull that into something else or like you um you know a racy chart that moves into like status reports and so forth um it doesn't always need to be super formalized, right? Like it's um, uh, the important thing is is that everyone agrees on it. So whether it's posted on like uh, um, <clears throat> like something like, something like SharePoint or Basecamp, and like even even if it's iterated on and like as a uh, there there are conversations around it. Like if for example the project gets to a certain point and everyone agrees to hey we for- when we scope this out we forgot the sales aspect, so we need to include this. Make sure it's it's captured in there, and then obviously it probably has some scope implications that uh, need to be uh, change requested. But um, all in all, it's as long as it is a document or like a um, even uh, you know an, uh, a formalized email, something written down that people can agree yeah. on and that is being acknowledged. Uh, I think that is uh, that is pretty much sufficient. It's not like it doesn't necessarily need to be signed by all. Uh, signed and stamped by all um, sides, but um, at a minimum, it needs to be acknowledged, and everyone needs to be okay with it because uh, it's it's what's being delivered and what's being worked against. Yeah, cool. So the good news is, if you're still thinking after listening to this, well, this all sounds good, but um, hey, where do we get started? The great news is that Mike has created a really good template that you can use uh, for your project brief or project initiation document. So check out the article uh, to download it. But Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great having you with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So, and uh, as one of our DPM experts, if you've uh, liked what Mike's been talking about, uh, you'll be glad to know that Mike's making an appearance on our upcoming course starting in September called Mastering Digital Project Management. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, but you know that you need some PM training, check it out. It's a seven-week crash course that includes interactive video lessons, um, weekly assignments, group discussions, and the option of coaching sessions. So head to digitalprojectmanagerschool.com and get yourself signed up before the course fills up. But if you'd like to contribute to the conversation uh, on project initiation documents or project briefs, um, head over to the resource section of the digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team, uh, where you'll find all kinds of interesting conversations going on. And do remember to comment on the article and share it too. But until next time, thanks for listening.